you will be turning with us to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. While you're turning, how many folks here today remember a flannel graph board? Raise your hand if you remember a flannel graph board, okay? There's a few of us still living. This past week as I've studied this text, and some of these are teachers or Sunday school in years gone by, or students, as I study this passage this week, every time I read it and go to it, my mind goes back to my primary Sunday school class. I was taught by Miss Nancy Heger and my aunt, Frances Mayberry. And I can see as vivid in my mind now as I did then the green flannel graph board and a picture of Jesus being stuck on, up on the board and the multitude sitting around as Christ had compassion upon them and broke loaves and fishes and fed them. All of that was to the backdrop of a single screw-in 100-watt light bulb, moldy block walls in a basement Sunday school, a bare brown table with hard-back brown chairs, no electronics, no digital anything, no high definition, no moving of the fingers to get things done. And yet the message that was taught to me then is the same message I'm about to preach to you now about Jesus' compassion and His power. Someday in the future, there will be another preacher stand up here and say, how many of you remember the day of the cloud and remember the day of being online. And like this morning, a few of you that will then be in your 80s will raise your hands and the rest of them will look around like, boy, aren't they old. And I don't know what technology will be at that time, but I tell you this, the message of Christ and His compassion and power will still be the same. If you will, go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 14. I want to read this very familiar story in Matthew 14 as we continue to look at the King and His kingdom. And this morning we look at the compassion and power of Jesus as the King shows His shepherd side. Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard of it, referring of course to the death and burial of John the Baptist. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed Him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And He healed their sick. And when it was evening, His disciples came to Him, saying, this is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. They say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, 
He blessed and brake and gave the loaves to His disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. Parallel accounts in Mark 6. Parallel accounts in Luke's Gospel and also John. But here in Matthew 14, we've come to what Bible scholars call the end of our Lord's great Galilean ministry. It's estimated that our Lord began this ministry somewhere near the year A.D. 27, continued about till A.D. 29, 30, right in that range, which would make it about a two-year, maybe a few months over ministry. To put it in perspective, about one year from what you're reading this morning, Jesus, by means of His sacrificial death on the cross, would satisfy God's demand for the sins of all who trust Him. I said that because in a moment we're going to look at how Christ satisfied the needs of several thousand people with loaves and fishes. But one year from now, He will not be satisfying the needs of a hungry multitude, but He will be satisfying forever the needs of a holy and righteous God, His demands for our righteousness. Out of His grief for John's execution and death, the text makes it clear in verse 13 that our Lord is desiring to be alone with His heavenly Father, which He did on many occasions in the New Testament. But yet in the midst of this, we have recorded for us what is perhaps one of our Lord's most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000. But there's more to this story than loaves and fishes. There's more to this story than we ought to be kind and share the things that we have. I want us to look this morning at this passage and see what truths lie here within the text that may encourage us to be faithful in our following Jesus, to encourage us to be faithful to Him, to encourage us to continue to believe and trust that the same Lord who provided in this situation is the same Lord who provides for us, the same Lord who had compassion upon a multitude that did not know Him, is the same Lord that has compassions on, compassion upon the multitudes this morning. First of all, in verse 13 through 16, we see Matthew talks about Jesus' compassion and shows us His compassion upon this great multitude of people that has followed Him in these verses. Our Lord had emotions. He had great emotions. In fact, our Lord had perfect emotions like everything else about Him. So when He received the news that John the Baptist, His forerunner, His dear friend, His cousin, one who pointed uh, the men to Christ in His ministry, this great servant of God had been beheaded. And when He heard the circumstances of how all of that had happened, he had one desire at this present time, and that is uh, emphasized in verse 13. He wanted to find a desert place apart. He wanted to be alone with his heavenly Father. He was genuinely grieved and genuinely sorrowed by what happened to John 
the Baptist. In other words, what was happening in Jesus' world of humanity affected Him in His humanity. What is happening in our world of humanity still affects the Son of God. He loves and He has compassion. Let me ask you this morning, what is the last thing that happened in your life that caused you to want to be alone with your Heavenly Father? Was it a death? Was it a burden? Maybe a sin that you had been convicted of and you wanted to be alone with the Lord and His Word and be able to confess that and repent of that and and know that He would wash that and cleanse that and put you in a right standing with God. Well, even our Lord in His humanity wanted to be alone with the Father, not because He had sinned, not because He was feeling or sensing something that was contrary to what He should have been sensing or feeling, but He was experiencing humanity as we experience it this morning, and He felt a need to be alone with His Heavenly Father. Maybe the last time you were alone, it was for direction and guidance. Maybe it was for some help that you needed in a particular situation or even in a temptation. But our Lord is reminding us this morning that in this life, we all need to be alone with the Father at times. And if it's been a while since you've been alone with the Father, either nothing has happened in your life that would warrant you going to Him, or else you feel you can handle all of that on your own. There's never a time in Jesus' ministry when it would have been easier for Him to have rejected the crowd that followed Him Because as I just mentioned in verse number 13, he makes clear that he wants to be alone with the Father. But when the people heard that he was departing and moving away, Matthew tells us, along with the other gospel writers, that the crowd followed him on foot. They were following Jesus wherever he went. And if there ever was a time that our Lord could have said, Look, I'm tired. I've been ministering here in Galilee. My body needs rest. I need to be alone with the Father and and talk to Him about the death of John Baptist and about what we're facing in the hours to come. If there ever would have been a time that our Lord would have been justified in saying that and doing that, we are certainly in that context. His disciples were also under great pressure. Herod has just executed John the Baptist. His disciples are sitting ducks. They knew that Herod could do to them at any moment what he had just done to John the Baptist. Can you imagine what it would have been like ministering the Word of God in an atmosphere in a situation such as this? Think about the day of your greatest grief. Think about the day of your greatest burden, your greatest sorrow, your greatest physical ailment, your greatest uh, individual thing that happened to you that brought you as low as you've ever been in life. And think about ministering to a great multitude of people in that kind of atmosphere. That's exactly what our Lord is doing here. And He's doing it because He has compassion upon them. The Bible tells us here in verse 13 that when the people heard, they followed Him. Jesus wants to be alone, and yet the crowds are following Him. The very people uh, from which He is attempting to escape for a, a few moments, they are now all around Him. 
Matthew tells us it wasn't just a few people trying to get our Lord's autograph, but rather Matthew describes them as a great multitude. In verse number 14, well, preacher, how many is a great multitude? Well, read the text. We know there's at least 5,000 there, don't we? And women and children not even counted. We're talking 5, 10, 15, possibly 20,000 plus people that are there pressing in upon our Lord who is experiencing this grief and this, and this despair in the sense of being sympathetic toward the death of John the Baptist. This was a large crowd, and they had needs much greater and more important than a meal. The meal is not just the issue here. It's the crowd. It's the multitude. It's what our Lord is experiencing in His humanity at this present moment. And yet the text tells us that He was moved, in verse 14, with compassion. It could have easily read He was moved with frustration toward the crowd because He wants to be alone and yet they're following Him. And they're not even following Him for the right religious motives or the right spiritual reason. It could have read, it could have read that uh, Jesus said, send them away. He was moved with frustration or moved with anger toward them. It could have read all of that, but Matthew tells us the king, as his kingdom is advancing, and as men repeatedly reject his kingdom, and Herod kills those who heralded his kingdom, yet our Lord is moved with compassion. That is a significant statement here in the text. Our Lord didn't roll His eyes, get frustrated and say, How much more do you people want from me? Can't you see that I need to be alone? No, what Matthew has recorded for us and the Holy Spirit has inspired and preserved is a picture of our Lord's compassion, His selfless compassion. I'm seeing now the face of that stick on Jesus on the flannel graph board. And I really can't tell you how His face looked, but I can tell you by what I was taught that when I looked at His face, I saw compassion because that's what the teachers were telling me that Jesus had in His heart. He had compassion. Mark 6.34 says that He looked at them as sheep without a shepherd. Mark also tells us, Matthew tells us, that when he gets ready to feed them, in verse 19, he sits them down on the grass. But Mark tells us that he sit them down on the green grass. Mark tells us what color that was. That light brown kind of clothing that most people wore in the Middle East, that lighter color that they wore that was pretty much generic and pretty much... Uh, represented everybody in that day. Can you imagine 5,000 plus people all clothed in that same color sitting on the green grass? It may have even looked visually like a bunch of sheep laying down on the green pastures as they did all through the hills of Palestine. Yes, the king is the shepherd. He's standing there with a bunch of lost sheep because he has compassion on them. 
This is the one, this is the same Christ that the psalmist is writing about in Psalm 23 when he wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. What the psalmist wrote about centuries before, now the shepherd, the king, the shepherd is standing there with compassion upon people who need him. He was moved with compassion. That word compassion means he experienced the consciousness of their need on a level of deepness and a level of of sense that cannot be defined. I don't know if it does you the same way it does me, but if you ever think about standing on the edge of a rock and looking down, uh, matter of fact, I get queasy thinking about it. Uh, When I see pictures of those things like that, I close my eyes. I can't stand to be on a high place looking down like that. It's that queasiness we get within us. Take that to a spiritual level. Take that to the most intense feeling that you ever could imagine. And the gospel writers are telling us that is what our Lord is sensing in His innermost self when He looks at this multitude. And that feeling isn't coming by how am I going to feed them. That feeling isn't coming by there's too many here for us to do anything about. That sensation, that feeling, that reality is coming because of how He sees them. He sees them in need of something that only He can give them through His sacrificial death on the cross. He is moving, He is churning on the inside of Him. Charles Spurgeon said the original word for compassion is very expressive. He says his whole being, Jesus, was stirred to its lowest depth and therefore he proceeded at once to work miracles of mercy among them, end quote. Spurgeon is saying there was something happening inside the Son of God in his humanity that would be uh, just similar but to higher degrees as to what happens within us when we are so churned that we can't hardly contain ourselves. He is moved with compassion when he sees these people as sheep without a shepherd. What we're seeing here is how the kingdom of God advances. Last week we saw it advances through the suffering and death of John the Baptist. This week we see the kingdom is advancing through the compassion and servanthood of Jesus Christ. And that's how the kingdom advances here still in life today when God's people, when you and me, have compassion upon people who need Christ who have that same churning within our soul when we see people who are without a shepherd. We look at the world every day. We make comments every day. We pass our opinion about people every day. With our technology and access to social media, every one of us feel like we are a psychiatrist, we are an expert physician, we are a lawyer, uh, we are a coach, we are this, we're an engineer, we are this and we are that. I mean, we know everything and we feel free to pass our opinion upon people and what we think about them. When was the last time you and I saw a lost world as Jesus is seeing them here? When they are there for the feeding of the 5,000, He has compassion. People are lost. People are without Christ. And we must see them as our Lord saw them. You and I live in an overwhelming 
selfish and self-centered age. We live in an age of entitlement, an age in which we don't know much about servanthood. This is the age of you serve me. Jesus is telling us the kingdom is about us serving others. He came to bring salvation to us. We go this morning to preach the gospel and share the gospel with the lost world. We must have the same compassion and see the multitudes as He saw the multitudes. The actions of Jesus this morning right here in the text could have a transforming effect upon you. It could have a transforming effect upon me if we'll take it to heart. His selfless love, His compassion, His servanthood, it is a rebuke and a strong rebuke on our self-protecting attitudes and our, our childish actions that we treat people with. It's a rebuke to how we look at this world. You can have compassion on a multitude that don't know Christ without giving them everything they want. Well, preacher, I, I look at them and all I see is a bunch of homeless bums, a bunch of sorry people that won't work, they won't do this and they won't do that, and you can go down the whole list. Jesus looked at them and saw a bunch of people like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you know it or not, but there's one thing in life sheep cannot live without, and that's a shepherd. And there's still one thing right here in Caldwell County that people cannot live without. And His name is Jesus. And we are His disciples. And if His kingdom is going to advance in Caldwell County, if His kingdom is going to advance through the ministry of this church, we must have compassion upon people. And we must see them as Jesus saw them. Thank God He saw you one day in the same light. If I went around the room today and had you to stand up and say what condition you were in the first time you came to Christ, I'm sure we'd all be embarrassed in a few minutes with how we really were. But thank God He saw us as sheep without a shepherd. And so He had compassion upon us. What do you see when you see the multitudes? Jeremiah had an interesting statement in the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. The Lamentations is the weepings of the great prophet. And Jeremiah makes this statement in the book of Lamentations. He says, Mine eye affecteth mine heart. In other words, Jeremiah said, What I'm seeing affects what I'm feeling. What I'm seeing affects how I'm praying. What I am seeing affects how I'm living. What I am seeing affects what I am doing. And that's the way with our Lord, who in His humanity needed time to rest. In his humanity needed time to process the death of John Baptist, who he said was none born of woman any greater than him. Having time to be alone with the Father and talk to the Father about his forerunner, his cousin, the beloved John the Baptist. But instead the multitudes pressed him, and he seeing the multitudes was moved with compassion. Now, I don't know what I've got planned all next week, and I surely don't know what you've got planned all week, but I'll tell you this, somewhere in the midst of it, it must take a pause and we must see the multitudes. That's why the Lord has left us here. Notice with me secondly, not only that Jesus shows His compassion, but in verse 16 through 20, Jesus shows us His power. Now, back up at verse number 15, really into 14, whenever, whenever Jesus 
was moved, he begins to heal their sick. And the other writers tell us a few other things that he was doing. And now it's become evening in verse 15. The sun is setting. His disciples came to him saying, We marvel at what compassion you had upon them. No, your Bible's not reading wrong. That's not what it says. Do you notice instead of coming to him and asking him to help them with their compassion, no, they come to him and just like good disciples, probably the first roots of being a Baptist, they begin to tell Jesus what he already knows. And they begin to tell Jesus what he ought to do. They also begin to tell Jesus what time of day it is. Did you notice up in verse number 13, when Jesus heard of it, He departed thence by ship into a desert place. They come back in verse 15 and say, this is a desert place. Duh. I mean, He knew it was a desert place. So they feel obligated to tell Him, we're in a desert place. It'd be like me saying, "I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning, this is Sunday morning. You know, I, th- I hope you knew that before you got here. And then they tell him the time is now past. Matthew's recorded in verse 15, it was even. Do you think the very creator of the, of the sun and the moon does not know that it's evening? And then this is what they really want to tell him. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. The very thing that is the heart of this text, which is the fact that the Lord Jesus in His humanity is moved inside of Him to a depth I can't even explain. They're wanting Him to send people away that are causing that. Get rid of all of these people. And let's go back to our original agenda of being alone. But our Lord sets an example for them in this text, and He sets an example for us in this text, not only of how we should show compassion as He showed compassion, but how we are totally dependent upon His power in a way that without it we can do absolutely nothing, and we can be absolutely nothing without His power. We need to appreciate our Lord's divine power here as demonstrated in verse 16 through 20, where He shows His disciples and us how He can provide for any situation in which He needs to provide. Now, some will say, Preacher, these people were only interested in having their felt needs met. I I understand that totally. If If you were to actually poll the average Christian that's sitting in church as you are this morning, and ask them, and they were to be totally honest, why they came today, I would imagine there would be a large percentage of people that would tell you they're there to get their felt needs met. There's something they feel like they need, and they want it met. And that's why they are there. Many of these people were sick. He had healed some of them. They were suffering from illness. I'm sure many of them had bodily problems. They were caring for loved ones. Some of them were going through grief, just like... He had gone, was going through with John's death. Others were just fascinated by his teaching, and they were following him for that. Others just wanted to see him do something till the circus got in town, and so they're following him for that reason. And then there's some who, who you know, had just made their initial investment in the Jerusalem stock market and wanted to see if 
doing what he said would help their investments. They're there probably for every kind of reason that you can imagine. And Jesus will eventually rebuke them for their inability to rise above their felt needs to their spiritual needs. In John 6, 26 and 27, he says to this crowd, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miracle, miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. At some point, they have to be confronted about that, but right now, He is showing them that He has compassion for them and that He has the power to do whatever needs to be done for them and for us. That's our Savior. That's our King. That's our Shepherd. You see, behind all of this was the sovereign hand of God. And a preacher told me last week, he said, you can't go a week without mentioning God's sovereignty. So I wanted to make sure I got it in today. So this, behind all of this is the sovereign hand of God drawing them in His net of love, so He can meet their real need, which is salvation. Jeremiah 31, 3, I've loved, thee, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with my loving kindness. In spite of their reasons for being there, they're there. In spite of their reasons for being there, He is there. In spite of your reasons for being here this morning, you're here. And in spite of your reason for being here this morning, He is here. And whenever you are where He is, thank God impossibilities can become miracles. And Jesus does that. It's evening. It's too late. We're in a desert. But notice verse 16, But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. You give them to eat. You men, give them to eat. And they say, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Now, if you want to know how they got those, you can read the other accounts, especially John's gospel. We have five loaves and two fishes. And he said, bring them hither to me. Bring what you have to me. That's his first statement. And then he commands the multitudes to sit down and then he takes the five loaves and fishes. And then he prays, looking up to heaven. He blessed them and broke them and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. They all ate. Either you believe that or you do not believe that. I believe that because the Bible says it four times. They all ate. All four Gospels, they all ate and were filled. They were satisfied and there were fragments left over. I remember years ago when I was preaching through might have been Luke's gospel or John's gospel. Probably was John's gospel. I was preaching through John's gospel. I, I remember doing research on this and reading some of the liberal views on the feeding of the 5,000. And there was this one view that said that the disciples had early that morning stockpiled loaves and fishes in, in behind a cave. And what Jesus did was he backed up and put his hands behind him. And there was people back there filling them up and he was just bringing them out. That's harder to believe than the fact that he took five loaves and two fishes and, and fed the 5,000. Now this is, this is a miracle of creation. The same fish that he's breaking are the same fish he created. He can certainly do it. 
you say, well, I don't know if he can break five loaves and two fishes and feed thousands or not, then you're going to have trouble on down the line when his body is broken for you. And he can feed all that will come to him and call upon his name. No, he's caring for them. He's moving with compassion. Could I say this today? I don't know how the miracle took place, but I do know where the miracle took place. It took place in His hands, and that's where every miracle takes place. Bring them to me. Bring what you have to me, and let me give the Father thanks. Now remember, He was going to pray to the Father about His his feelings about John's death. Now He's talking to the Father about the needs of this multitude who were there, many of them, for the wrong reason, and yet He's going to the Father on their behalf. When I didn't care about Him, He cared for me. When I didn't pray to Him, He prayed for me. And even still today, when I don't care enough to even pray to Him, He is still this morning at the right hand of the Father interceding for me. This is about Jesus and about Him alone. Notice The disciples had some compassion. I I, I think the wording of what they're saying here, I think they they have some compassion for this multitude. They say, let them go to the villages and buy themselves victuals. I don't think the disciples here are just a bunch of thugs like some people preach them. I, I think they truly are assessing the situation. And you read John's gospel. Philip had got out his calculator and figured it up and said, we don't, said, if we had all this money, we couldn't even buy enough to get them. So that's not where they're coming from. But the point of the passage is this. The disciples had compassion, but not like he had compassion. The disciples had resources, five loaves and two fishes. But they didn't have near the resources. The disciples had ideas and opinions. They tell Jesus what they think He ought to do. But their ideas and opinions don't necessarily mesh with the plan of the kingdom. So what do you do with all that stuff that they have? You put it in Jesus' hands and let Him take care of it. The disciples have a little compassion, few resources, But here's something they do really have, and that's Jesus. Now, the text doesn't tell us about any level of faith they have in Him whatsoever. It does in other passages, not pertaining to this particular miracle. But sometimes we read about the disciples where Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith. But here, but but they have Him. He's, He's there. He's here this morning. And I don't know what your need is spiritually, but... You and I have very little, if anything, to bring to the table. And actually, nothing we bring is any good till it's in His hands. Do you, do you, know, do you realize that Jesus said that, that they brought these to Him? They brought the fish and the loaves to Him. They placed them in His hands. These are the same hands that in about a year from this time, these hands will be nailed to a cross. These are the same hands that blessed the little children. These are the same hands that stretched out and said, Come unto me. These are the same hands that disciples will ask about in the days to come uh, after His crucifixion and His resurrection. These same hands. The miracle is in His hands. Christ is advancing His kingdom. But wait. Look at verse 16. 
after the miracle is in his hands, he says to them, or before this happens, he says, give you them to eat. And they had nothing to give. But once what they had was in his hands, the Bible tells us that after he blessed it and break it, he gave what he had to the disciples. And now the disciples have something to give to the multitude. Church, we are not here today. We're not here. I, am not, I was not sent here to give you or to give this county my ability to preach and my expertise or lack thereof in exposition or in leadership or any of those other things. I was sent here to give you what He gives to me. And when we go out of here this morning, we are sent out to give to others what He has given to us that we have put in His hands that He has blessed and broken. Because that is all that will help a lost and a dying world. And these people, frail and weak, insufficient people, Christ is feeding. And some of these people will become a part of His kingdom. And who are the people in verse 16 that Jesus said, Give ye, these disciples, you, you give them. We're, we're His outreach today. He's, he's left, listen, he, He's in this great ministry of reconciliation. And you know, what, you know why He does it? He does it through His church. He does it through Christians like you and Christians like me. Jesus can and will use whosoever and whatsoever you have to reach the multitudes with the gospel. Preacher, my testimony is nowhere near what so-and-so's testimony. I was raised in church, and the Lord saved me one day. And I just, I just want to sit down and bow my head when I hear about these people that have been delivered off of all this. All, blah, all, blah. Listen, that is not what saves men anyway. What saves men is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of the cross. That's what saves men. Whether you came from a church background or whether you came from a honky-tonk background, that's not what saves men. That's not what we witness about. What we witness about is the Christ who brought salvation, who changes lives. Whatever you have this morning, if you belong to Christ at some point in time, He will take you and what you have and He will put you in the face of people who have needs. And then you must trust Him to work the miracle. There's an overwhelming need in this story that only compassion and miraculous power can address. And Christ addressed them both. And there's needs in Caldwell County. There's needs right here in Lenore this morning that only compassion and the miraculous power of Christ can address. And scripturally, He says He can do what He did on this, on, in this place on this day. He can do today through His church, through His people, who will show compassion and trust His miraculous power. He used the disciples, but the miracle was in His hands. There's something significant there in the verse 19 where He blessed and break and gave. And I want to remind you, nothing is impossible when we place everything in His hands. When we thank Him for everything and give what He has done to those who hunger spiritually. The miracle is in His hands. Look at the satisfaction of verse 21. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And back up in verse 20, they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. You know what, it, you know what that means, the 12 basketfuls? You know what that represents? 
It represents 12 baskets full. I've heard everything from the tribes of Israel. I, I've, you wouldn't, I've heard men preach entire unbiblical messages on what was in them 12 baskets. I'm going to tell you what I think it says. It says when he got done, there's 12 basketfuls left. That's exactly what it means. Because that's exactly what it says. That's our Lord. I think the events in our text have a lasting, had a lasting impact on Jesus' disciples because it is one of the few facts that is recorded in all four Gospels. And I pray it leaves an impact on us. As we leave here this morning, we need to understand the importance of a selfless Christian compassion. And that don't come naturally. It does not come naturally. There is not a week goes by that I don't walk across these grounds and see people who I have to decide, am I going to run them off or am I going to show compassion? Showing compassion don't mean that I let them abuse property and violate them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how I see them. It doesn't mean that I justify their, their unlawful actions or that I contribute to their laziness. or those. That's not what I'm talking about. How do I see them? I have to pray, Lord, help me to see them as you see them, as sheep without a shepherd. We ought to also understand as we leave this morning that we're involved in this great ministry of reconciliation, this great ministry. And to do that, we must obey His commands in spite of our opinions. That's what the disciples had to do in this text. They had opinions as to about what ought to be done in this situation and Jesus said, I command you to do this, to do this, to do this, to do this. And when they did what He said do, guess what? The miracles happened. The impossibilities became realities. But one thing I want to leave with you is this. Our Christian ministry here, all Christian ministry, whatever it is you do for Christ, all Christian ministry, is beyond our own personal resources. It's beyond it. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of men today who are preaching. Some had already preached because of the time difference before I got in the pulpit. Others will begin preaching as I'm closing. Others will preach on into the afternoon. When I'm eating lunch at 2 o'clock out on the West Coast, some will just be starting to preach this morning. No matter where this gospel is preached today, not one man who preaches it, not one man who preaches it can do it from any personal resource he brings to the pulpit. It is done by the power of Almighty God. And all Christian ministry is prayerfully dependent upon Christ and totally dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's true for you, whatever it is that you do. For some of you, it will be a face-to-face -face conversation next week with a co-worker, a member of your family, someone who's dear to you. And, and you may plan it, and it just absolutely flop in your mind. And then one of these days, you'll be in a situation where it'll just be that opportunity open. And you'll have to depend upon the power. It's not the setting, and it's not whether it's a good time or not. That's all. Those are all secondary issues. The real issue is, is whether the compassion and power of Christ is there to do the job. Preacher, how do I bring that home this morning? 
by praying, Lord, help me to have compassion. Help me to see a lost world as you see a lost world. Help me to sense in my inner man what you sensed that day when you looked at this situation. And Lord, no matter how bad things are in my life, no matter how deeply I want to get away from this, no matter how deeply I want to shelter myself from it, help me to be able to respond as you responded. And then, Lord, I confess to you that I don't have the power to change anything. I can't change my children's lives, my grandchildren's lives. As a pastor, I have to pray every week, Lord, I cannot change the heart and the life of Western North Baptist Church. I can't do it. But I know one, if I can put things in His hands, I know one who can do a mighty and amazing things for His glory and honor. Could I just remind you again before I pray? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. None of that multitude that day could say that because He wasn't their shepherd at that time, but He became their shepherd. And then the psalmist said, He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. I love our Lord. Thank God for our King, who is also our shepherd. And may the kingdom of God advance through Western Orr Baptist Church through compassionate people who understand the power is in His hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for the Word of God. Lord, You took us back to a text that many of us sat in before we could even understand Scripture. Lord, You took us to a passage that brought back memories to us, as it did me. It brought back the faces of Sunday school teachers and Bible school teachers and stories that we have heard about the feeding of the 5,000. Lord, we still hear occasionally references made, even by people who don't know You, about the feeding of the 5,000. Lord, we believe this story by faith this morning because it's recorded in Your precious and perfect Word, and we believe it. Lord, this morning we come to You and ask You, Lord, to help our lack of compassion. Lord, we get calloused when we see the multitudes. We get frustrated over the multitudes. We see things that the crowd should be doing, and we assume that their destiny sealed, and we have no impact whatsoever. But Lord, help us, no matter what we're wanting to do or feel like we need to do, help us to see the multitudes as You saw them. And Lord, we understand again this morning that our inability is Your opportunity. And help us to bring whatever it is we have to You. Put it in Your hands, obey You completely, and then watch You do what You want to do. So in the end... Men's souls will be satisfied in Jesus Christ. Thank you for this little glimpse here by the sea at what you were doing temporally in feeding the 5,000. Thank you for that little glimpse of that so that we know that on down the road you were going to take care of feeding us eternally through your saving grace. Bind our hearts together in love this morning. I do pray you'd continue to be with the needs of our church family. Thank you for those who went through surgery this week that you watched over and pray you'd continue to heal them and give them strength and grace. And I pray for the ones that have death in their homes this week. I ask you to be with them as well. 
And help us as your people now as we go our separate ways this morning. Just like Jeremiah, may our eye affect our heart. And then may we know when we see a problem we can't fix, may we know we're serving the Savior who can break loaves and fishes and feed multitudes to the satisfied. We love you this morning. Thank you for being our Savior and our God. For it's in your precious name we pray. Amen.